0: What's up, y'all? Welcome to Don't At Me with me, Justin Simeon, and our guest for this very special episode, writer, director, and patron saint of Black gay cinema, Patrick
1: Ian Polk. I kind of grew up with this notion that I could do anything. And so throughout my career, I think I've had this idea that i could accomplish whatever i wanted it was just a question of me figuring out what that was Mm -hmm. and also at certain point figuring out that there's any number of ways to get something done so when Mm -hmm. you need a brick wall you go left or right and figure it out he
0: and i are going to get into hollywood's black gay spirit hanny a noah's arc reboot and his work on the new star show p valley Welcome, Culture Machines. Welcome back for another episode of Don't At Me. I am your host, Justin Simeon. Thank you for joining me today. Again, we are happy to have some of you here via Zoom right now to help add to the conversation with today's guest, Patrick Ian Polk. Patrick Ian Polk is a pioneering filmmaker in Black queer cinema. He gave us the canonical film Punks that premiered at Sundance in 2000. After that, he brought us Noah's Ark, all black gay male leading show on MTV's logo that resonated with audiences across all spectrums. He's gone on to make more films such as The Skinny and Blackbird and served as writer producer on BET's hit show, Being Mary Jane. He's also got a fantastic looking show called Pussy Valley coming out, Mm -hmm. uh, which looks fantastic on stars. Patrick, welcome.
1: Thank you. Thank you for having me.
0: <laughs> so we'll, we'll start easy. You know, we're all in quarantine. What have, you been, what have you been doing? What have you been fangirling over? What's your obsession? How are you getting through it?
1: I'm a bit weird because I'm kind of the opposite of most people. I have not felt motivated at all to watch anything like um, narrative. Like my uh-huh. heart is bursting at the seams. I've got all the new insecurities. I've got the, all the new how to get away with murders. And what I tend to watch now, I mean, I watch MSNBC a, a <laughs> bit. I watch HGTV quite a bit. Um, and I watch a lot of Bob's Burgers. Uh, yes. Like a lot, lot of okay. burgers. Um, so yeah. That's
0: prestige to me. I, is it, do you feel like it's kind of like
1: working? I don't know why I have been so reluctant to watch new stuff, and there's so much of it. Maybe it's just there's so much. I'm, I'm like daunted by how do yeah. I, how do I pick? There's just too much stuff. So
0: well, I was like, I told you know, Isa, I was like, look, I love Insecure, but I can't, wa- I can't watch black shows <laughs> while I'm writing a black show. Like I just can't. It just feels <laughs> like I, I can't watch it and be like ooh, that was a good joke, and that was a great runner. And ooh, that break, break the act too. Like, I can't watch it any other way. Like, I, I need, like, Housewives and cleaning shows and game shows. And, like, exactly. that's what I need.
1: <laughs> exactly. That's what I'm watching. HGTV Home Makeover. That's it.
0: Yes. I love it. So well, I want to eventually get to uh, P Valley, but I want to start with Punks because that is such a seminal film. It is probably the first time... I as a as a young man went to an independent movie theater to see something. Um, it it it, uh, it 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 was a revolution for me. Not only to see gay black men, and I think I said this to you, where their humanity wasn't in question. Like that wasn't the point. Like whether they were valid or not was not the point. We were just seeing we were seeing them in their world. I was getting I was getting a a, a, a reference as to like. How could I be gay and black in the real world? And it was the first time I ever got that.
2: I keep getting this little dry spot on my lip. It goes, it comes, it goes, it comes, and it's always in the same spot right here in the lower right lip. What do
1: you think that is? Hmm. I'm sucking all that dick. Oh. <laughs> Shut up. Mm, I'm serious. See, when you give <laughs> head, do you tend to risk the penis on that side of your mouth? Shut What's up, you know you I not do God. not give blowjobs. Hello, you know. hello. No oh. euphemisms,
0: please. Stop.
1: You know it's called sucking dick. <laughs> <laughs>
0: So I really want to talk about how you got there, um, where the idea came from. This is stuff some people know, but maybe not enough. So the idea where did for it come punks? from?
1: Yeah. Um, where did punks come from? I, okay, so I, came, I grew up in Mississippi. I went to college in Boston. I went to film school at USC. And then I, out of film school, I ended up working as a development executive at MTV Films. Mm -hmm. I was working at MTV Films, but at the same time, I was writing. Like the first script I ever wrote was Blackbird. I think. Oh, that was the first one. Yeah, like the first draft of Blackbird was like from like 1991 or something like that. Like college, literally college. I kind of cut my teeth on that book. Um, And so I got out of film school, and I started working as an executive, and. While I was working, I was also writing and I was planning my next script. And I had befriended a British writer, director, um, black gay, named uh, Ricky Beetle Blair, who, if you don't know, you should look up. Um, He created a series called Metrosexuality, Mm. ran on Channel 4, again, years before, you know, gay, queer, queer as folk or any of that. Um, so we had met through work, through my job at MTV, because he wrote uh, the script for the movie Stonewall—not mm-hmm. the Stonewall that you saw more recently. There's a an original Stonewall that's much better. I'd uh, imagine so. <laughs> you know, <not> better, <laughs> uh, that you should go see. And um, so he had written that, and and it was going around the festival circuit. And um, so we ended up meeting uh, and becoming friends. And he became sort of a mentor. Um, And I was talking to him about what to write next because I was like, you know, thinking again, thinking like, I want to do something, you know, what's the thing I can write that's going to sell? What's the thing that someone's going to want to do? And he said to me the words that I have never forgotten, Mm. um, which was write the script. Basically, write the story that only you can tell. Mm. And I was like, "Hmm, write the story that only you can tell. Okay. So basically, Punks was, you know, um, I was a big fan of that sort of four character, you know, structure, Golden Girls, Designing Women, like mm-hmm. big influences. Um, and I wanted to do a movie about black gay men. I said, OK, I'm just going to do a movie about black gay men. And then what? And I was like, well, what is it about? <laughs> the audacity, by the way. I was like, what is it, what is, well, what is the movie about? Like, so I was like, what am I going to call it? And I, then I asked myself, well, what is the movie about? Or maybe someone, maybe Ricky or someone said to me, well, what is the movie about? And I said, a bunch of punks. And so <laughs> I yes. decided that that's what the movie would be called, punks. Um, and I kind of liked that the word, some people knew kind of what it meant, you know, in the black community. Some people kind of didn't, whatever. It's kind of provocative. Um... And then I wanted to do, because again, there had not been a black, gay, anything. So I I was like, um, I need to represent as broad a cross-section of the community as I can in these four characters. So I was like, okay, Mm -hmm. here's the shy, sort of sexually afraid, innocent. Here's the, you know, hardened, jaded, Mm experienced, you know, uh, elder. Here's the young, like, you know, flighty, silly, young, um, irresponsible one. And here's the sort of gorgeous, um, glamorous um, drag queen. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's kind of how it happened. It really was just sort of like, in ways, Marcus, because if you've seen Punks, you can see that it's about this young, shy artist who is like, just, we're just coming out of the, the sort of, Horrible years of the AIDS epidemic. So it's mm-hmm. kind of post worst of it. But it's mm-hmm. still a very scary thing. And so I, you know, moving to LA and everything, I was still really kind of paranoid and terrified and scared of sex and all of that stuff. So I kind of wanted to represent that. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, at one point I had a really close friend and for like a year about a year, a roommate who was HIV positive. And who found out while we were living, we were rooming together, or at least while we were friends. Mm-hmm. So I kind of mm-hmm. went through the whole experience with him through getting on the medication. And it wasn't like it is now where you have commercials. Right. One pill a day, you know. Yeah. Those, this was like 10 of pills in the in the yeah. kitchen. Some had to be refrigerated. They had to be taken at certain times. They had all these horrible side effects like diarrhea and this and that. Right. But yet and still he was this six foot, six inch tall dark-skinned, gorgeous-bodied, like, beautiful black man that would pick up boys left and right in West Hollywood. Yes. Like that, that sort of BBC fantasy come to life. Uh-huh, uh-huh. Um, and so everything that I had seen up to that point uh, representing HIV and AIDS was, like, in early frost. It was, like, death and dying. And I was like, well, that's not the reality, so one of the characters needs to be this. I need to have mm-hmm. this on screen. Um, and then, yeah. That's kind of how... Did that I,
0: feel um, political to you at the moment? Or, or were you just sort of, were you a storyteller trying to tell your story?
1: It never, for me, it never feels political for me in the moment. In the moment, it's always just, what story am I trying to tell? Um, yeah, you know, yeah. yeah no, it definitely was not like, oh, I'm trying to make a statement. It was about wanting to see myself on the screen. Right. I didn't see, people like me on the screen. You know. Similarly, years later, not that how many, four years later, Noah's art came about because I. It was kind of the same thing, but a little more advanced. It was sort of like here I was now, um, no longer in my twenties and my early thirties, and. Um, still, by that time, I think we had had a Queer spoke maybe, in mm-hmm, mm-hmm. the British version, um, mm-hmm. but wanting to see, again, wanting to see myself on, on screen, um, wanting to see people like me, so, like, educated, successful, like, and, and the, what inspired Noah's Ark was actually mm-hmm. Phil Wilson and the Black AIDS Institute. Mm-hmm. Um, this was the early years of the Black AIDS Institute. So Phil started this organization to specifically address the HIV situation in the Black community because it was Mm -hmm. being ignored by the government. He called together at a little weekend conference in West Hollywood at the London, what's now the London Hotel. It used to be something else. And it was, um, he brought together basically sort of successful leading Black gay men in all these different fields, business, medicine, education, entertainment, media, Mm -hmm. to sort of think tank, what can we do to address the issue in the Black gay community specifically. What can we do? Um, And what I learned coming out of that weekend was, holy shit, there's a network of successful Black gay men with money Mm -hmm. and Mm -hmm. amazing careers. This guy's a judge. This guy's a leader in corporate America. Like, um, That was the first inspiration so that later that year, whenever it was, when I walked into the L. Ray Theater on the opening night of Black Gay Pride in LA at a club called Boy Trade. Um, <laughs> and I walked into the L. Ray. and if you know the L. Ray, you walk in and the dance floor is like recessed.
0: It's like sunken a little bit, yeah.
1: Yeah, so I walked in and I was kind of scanning, trying to see if I could locate my people. And then it hit me. Boom. I'm going to do a show. Black Gay Sex in the City. And it's going to be about this Group, because Mm. I was like, and then I was like, you know, all these people, because this is a big LA Black Pride used to be a really big event. All these people from all around the country would come, and I was like, these people are literally. This is all going through my head. Sitting in, standing in the L.A., these people are renting hotel rooms and cars and plane tickets and all this stuff. They have money to spend, so I'll make this show. I'll market it directly to them, and then just be a direct thing. And I'm not gonna, you know, fuck Hollywood. Because yes. you know, because I had coming out of punks, I had left my job. At that time, I was like running uh Babyface and Tracy Edmonds film company. And then they were gracious enough to and trusted in me enough to, to finance and produce punks. So when punks came, when well, punks premiered at Sundance, and after that I left that job to be a filmmaker full-time. I sold a college comedy. Talk about Dear White. Mm. I'm comedy, aware of those. Because uh, <laughs> I had written a script. again, back in the college days, early days, about loosely based on sort of my experiences at Brandeis. And I wanted to capture sort of the black experience at the white liberal arts, you know. Wow. Wow. And it was called The the Ghetto Suite. And it was about four freshmen that ended up sharing a dorm, uh, three black guys and a black girl. And it was all about their different experiences. And one of them was gay and coming out and all of this stuff. And so there was a feature script. This is when I met Gabrielle Union, and again, we were both in our 20s, because she yeah. coming out to bring it on, I think, at a certain point, and somehow she got the ghetto suite and she loved it and was like, I want to do this script. And so that was my dream, but back then, like, good luck. Um, well, well, can I stop you there? Why yeah. was it like, good luck?
0: I, I obviously know the answer to this question, but I want to kind of get into it a little bit. Like, why, why, why do you think it felt so audacious to do a black,
1: gay-led anything. I mean, it just wasn't, it just wasn't done. It wasn't, there was nothing. There wasn't drag race or yeah. any of that stuff. It was like a big deal uh to have a gay character at all. Um, you know, and they were white. So like when mm-hmm. I was up seeing like TV movies like Making Love, which is this film about this married man who has an affair with this gay man and And it was very controversial at the time. And then later, there was like early Frost and all these different... Every now and then, you'd have a little something kind of boundary pushing that would capture the attention, but it was always white. Mm -hmm. Never Mm -hmm. anything black and gay. I don't recall really seeing black gay stuff on TV as a kid, other than sort of like... Do you recall seeing it now? (laughs) I mean... Where is it? it? I see it now, but it's like little pockets. It's like little sort of things here and there, you know. Um, yeah, I don't. uh, Yeah, I don't know. I
0: mean, here's the thing. Here's the thing. I want to talk to you about because I it blows my mind. The way I see it is, black gay men are so obviously at the center of culture.
1: I say this all the time. I literally say this in every pitch. I have a pitch right now <laughs> that I would con- jokingly call it's like Young Noah's Ark. Yes. It came about because oh, let me tell you the thing. So, so <laughs> you know, so after the Noah's Ark movie came out, it was a big hit, they had canceled the show and then done this movie. So they were kind of shamed. Mm-hmm. Uh, they said, okay, let's do something else. Let's do like Basically, they wanted to do a spinoff. They wanted to do Frasier for Cheers. They wanted... No okay. Mm-hmm. So I wrote... A, I developed for a year this project with them. No and Wade moved to New York. It was a whole thing. New characters around them. Um, and then they decided, no more scripted. We don't have the money. We don't have the budget. It's not worth it. We're not doing it anymore. Right. Um, and... You know, more recently... Uh, When I started working in television again, I kind of did the rounds again, and I kind of brought it up again to MTV Viacom. And they were interested. We started developing a... First, I was developing the picking up where, you know, it's seven years later. Mm -hmm. Old pitch where we catch up with the characters, whatever. Develop that for months, months, months. Then they say, oh, you know what? Now we want to develop something for MTV, the channel. i mm-hmm. told like, holy shit, okay. So they like, basically, we want the young version. What does that look like? Mm. So I developed the young version, like just out of college, 21 year olds in New York City. Um, so I developed that. Then we get to a point, I go in for a meeting, and we're basically told they don't want to do any, they stopped developing. They're not developing for the channel anymore. They're developing for off network, but they don't really want to do anything with Noah's Ark right now. Mm -hmm. Basically. Okay. And literally it's like, you don't really have to do anything, but tell me and the producers like, yeah, run with it and go set it up somewhere. Like, why wouldn't you want to exploit a property? But again, and you do so rather than beat my head against the brick wall, because I'm, you know, I'm lateral thinking. I just said, well, fuck them. I'll go, I'll take this young idea that I was developing, mm-hmm. take Noah's Ark off of it, call it something else. The whole new yes. shit. Let's go pitch that out. So I've been pitching that around. I haven't been to too many places with it, but it's the kind of thing of like, you know, you just kind of get that, mm, kind of like this, but it's not quite right. It's not, uh. And I'm like, so it amazes me that we still have not seen anything sort of like Noah's Ark. We still haven't seen a show where the focus is like black gay pose kind of comes the closest where the focus is largely black gay. Mm -hmm. Um, But, you know, pose is a specific thing. It's, it's period. It's, it's largely a transgender focused show, which is amazing that we have that today. Absolutely. Incredible. Um, But yeah, I'm still amazed that we still don't have, have it. And then every now and then you see something like this Hollywood thing, which I haven't seen yet, which right, I mixed, mixed reviews about, you know, so they're the gay character sort of at the center of that black character, but he's not surrounded by any other black gay characters that I can tell, you know, right, so. right, right. Um, so, yeah.
0: Well, you know, I I have a friend in my life who I talk about these things with and who draws a distinction between gay and homosexual and that there are homosexual black films or experiences. And when he says homosexual, it's because like, well, yes, they have sex with men, but they don't they're not living in their gayness. And I guess my question to you, and it's a philosophical, I don't have a fucking answer. If you have an answer, my mind is going to be blown. But why is it that like American audiences love black queerness when it comes in the form of Janet Jackson's choreography or Beyonce's clothes or you know YouTube uh, personalities or memes or you know um, slang? We love like we love the the. It's, there's a very specific gay black tone that say comes out in the Wendy's Twitter account, for instance. It's a very specific tone, and we love it, but we, people, it's still, a, it's still an audacious concept to think that we would watch a show that centers around actual gay Black men. What is that?
1: I have no idea. I mean, I think I literally say in the pitch document something about, like, gay, all the cool stuff about popular culture comes from the Black gay community. Mm-hmm. Um, it's time to put this culture at the center of a show, um, you know, so we, everybody can, you know, everybody can guess queen and slay and all this stuff, but no connection to where that comes from, um, mm-hmm. you know, and I, I don't know why that is. Um, I just know that my, I really believe as an artist and if there's anybody who's an artist, especially as a young artist, it is very, very, it's crucial for you to figure out what your, you know, what your central theme is as an artist, mm-hmm, <laughs> um, mm-hmm. you know, what your mission, what your mission is as an artist. And yes. I decided a long time ago that my mission as an artist was to tell black gay stories. Um, period, full stop. Mm-hmm. So, you know, that's what I would write. And years ago, I would have meetings and it was always sort of like, a, can you write in something that's not black and gay? And mm-hmm. I was like, yeah, I can write something that's not black and gay if you pay me. But if I'm going to spend my blood, sweat and tears to write something, I'm going to write something I'm passionate about. And this is what it's going to be. Um, and so there was a time when that was not appreciated. More recently, it's now become... You know, everybody wants diversity and so it's a good thing now. But Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. still that one hurdle, I'm not sure what it is, but I'm I'm trying. I've got multiple projects I know you are that are pushing that envelope, trust and believe. So it's just like I'm gonna get it in there somehow. Now, look, you don't look a day over 30, so that's one. Uh, So I don't know
0: how this is possible, but when I was a little kid sneaking out of my house seeing punks, which you was already out here making gay movies and shit, (laughs) I, I, I can't tell you how affirming that, not only that movie, but also Noah's Ark, because it was the only thing that I could see myself in, like literally, like just the bare bones of what I am. It was the only thing I could really see uh, myself in and it made me feel welcomed in a way that no other element of Hollywood did. Um, When you were making punks, you know, and you went to Sundance, I would love for you to talk about that experience because, you know, I've had two Sundances now and every time people talk about it, oh my God, was it amazing? Was it everything that you're, how, you know, you must be so excited? And that was not my experience. So I'm just curious, what was yours?
1: <laughs> um, well, by the time I made the movie, I had been going to Sundance for the better part of 10 years. Because mm-hmm. um, at the time, Sundance was a big deal. It's still a big deal, but back then yeah. it was a really big deal. It was yeah. really exclusive. They only picked like 36 feature films a, a year. So it was very, very hard to get in. Um, but I would go every year as an exec from MTV into Edmonds. With Edmonds, I found a film at, at, a, at the first uh, Acapulco Black Film Festival, which is now called the uh, ABFF. Mm-hmm, uh, mm-hmm. A film called Have Plenty. I brought it to Kenny and Tracy Edmonds. We bought it. The company bought the film. We took it to, to Sundance, got into Sundance, took it to Sundance, sold it to Miramax for like 1.2 million when it had cost like mm. hundred and something thousand.
0: I would take that today.
1: So we had, had really <laughs> good, exp- we had good experiences, which is I think what led to them wanting to finance and produce punks. Mm. Uh, but Sundance was, it was always about, you know, being, as an executive, watching the hot movies, finding the hot new talent, seeing, you know, you're there to represent your company. So whether it's MTV or Edmonds, I'm there to represent the company and find projects and things and, and connect and whatever. Um, Going with a film, Punks was sort of my second time. So we went there with Have Plenty where they wanted to make a big splash and we did, and it was great. Um, But it's like, I'm not explain it really. It's sort of like I look back on making making punks and I'm just like, I'm amazed because it really feels looking back, it feels like we were just all a bunch of young men, like mm-hmm. didn't know what we were doing. Like I had never made a, a feature film before, you know. So it, looking back, it's very audacious, but in the moment it was just sort of like, you know, everyone coming together to kind of figure it out and make it work. And then Sundance was just sort of like you know, you hope for the best, you hope that you someone buys your film, you hope, that's the main goal, is you want someone to buy the film. Uh, mm-hmm. And then we came out of Sundance and nobody bought the film. You know? Oh my God, I actually didn't realize that, wow. And how, you know, and it's sort of like, it, it wouldn't have cost a lot of money, it would have been like low seven figures, really, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Um, but so no one was even willing to sort of take a chance on it. And we had, big black A-list producers on board. Um, and they were hot at the time, coming off Soul Food and all of that. So it was right. a real, again, black and gay. And I'll tell you the interesting anecdote that I always kind of point out is, also at the film festival that same year, mm-hmm. a movie called The Broken Hearts Club. Speak on it. And The Broken Hearts Club, in many ways, is like a white punk's. Mm-hmm. So, whereas Punks is about these black queer guys, uh, the drag queen is in a group with other drag queens. They only perform Sister Sledge songs, so those songs are peppered throughout the movie. Mm-hmm. Broken Hearts Club, and said in West Hollywood, Broken Hearts Club is about a group of white guys in West Hollywood, one black guy, Billy Porter. Um, and the lead character is obsessed with, is it the Carpenters? I think it's The Carpenters. I'm looking at you, Philip Bartell. Is it The Carpenters? <laughs> 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 Philip knows. I, th- I think it's like The Carpenters. Okay. Um, I'm pretty sure it's The Carpenters. He's obsessed with Karen Carpenter and The Carpenters. It's Carpenters' songs. So it's like literally, almost literally the white the same. version of this
0: movie.
1: Mm-hmm. Um, today, do you know where the writer-director of that movie is Today.
0: I do, but why don't you tell the children? <laughs> <laughs> he is
1: the king or queen, if you want to be catty, of the CW? Uh, producer of every fucking CW show, practically from um, the the Flash to Batgirl to R- Riverdale to. I don't. I mean, literally, there's a, a good six, seven, eight shows. Yeah, that he yeah. is producing so Greg Berlanti Berlanti productions um, and so the difference being and and this is something black people experience is sort of this idea that forget sexuality for a second yes you're a white male at sundance with anything at sundance like we come out of sundance literally you will see the next week you will see one of these guys they've done one sundance movie and he is directing you know the next batman film and it's not and i'm not joking and that's the kind uh, of happen all the time mm-hmm. But if you're a woman, if you're a person of color, if you're a person of color, and woman, and gay, um, it's just not the same. It's a little de- it's a little, mo- little, better now. But back then, forget about it. So nobody read- wanted to do the film, and, and we ended up, mm. ended up going with a sort of very indie black distributor that they were just, st- a black film festival that was just trying their hand at distribution. Mm-hmm. It wasn't the best situation, but you know.
0: Was that, it was Urban World, right? Mm -hmm. And and what did you tell yourself at that time? Because I've, you know, I experienced a very similar thing with Dear White People in that we left that festival without a sale. And, um, you know, I found myself one day on the set of the second season talking with a white director for the show, who I adore, by the way. I love this guy so fucking much. But we were both at Sundance. We both made our debuts at, you know, the 2014 Sundance. And in the time that- The other film? What's that? What's the other debut? At it's on the same year. I'm not gonna say. Okay. But because I'm not, I don't want to be catty because I like this person okay. and I like his film very much. But like, uh, um, there was two
1: films. I like Greg Berlanti, by the way. I'm not sliding him in any way, shape. No, I. Or... He's a very good nice guy. <laughs>
0: what you know? I might, I might actually bring this director on the show so we could actually talk it out because I think it would be a fun conversation. But until then. I'll speak a little bit in code. But uh, we both had films at Sundance 2014. And, you know, some years later, I had managed to turn that movie into a show, uh, you know, which is a pretty big fucking feat. But I I remembered having a conversation with him in our season two, where I realized that in that same time period, he had had gotten all of the things that I'd been up for but didn't get in terms of as a director. Uh, Mm -hmm. And he had made... Hundreds of thousands of dollars more than I did, having created a show, guest directing on other shows, and he had a second feature coming out, and all this. Stuff. And I just, it just like dawned on me, like, oh, we were we in every way we were the same thing. Yeah, and <laughs> you know, I feel I'm. Look, I'm very grateful for what happened with Dear White People, but it was just very, it was just very interesting the
1: differences that we had. That's just how it is, you know. I mean, and it's like. And it's just as simple as doors that opened for Greg did not open for me. So Greg Mm -hmm. went on to like work in TV and build his way up to showrunner and create all these shows. I could not get hired in television at all. And it's even funny to this day. Like I've never gotten a call to direct uh, something on TV. I've never gotten a call like for episodic directing. I've never gotten a call. And I have friends with TV shows. Like, I have no Mm -hmm, people mm -hmm. with TV shows. Mm -hmm. Um, And I get it. You can't always necessarily... you got to play the game, and you got people to answer to. But it just kind of... I decided a long time ago, because there was another filmmaker whose name I definitely do not want to mention, because he's an incredibly nice guy. He's a friend of mine. I love him to death. However, this person came from... A non-narrative world. Okay, I say what that non-narrative world is. I know, I like the code speak even
0: better though. It's, it's
1: there was cheaper. a there was a time when, <laughs> when 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 directors were funneled through this world quite routinely, quite routinely back in the heyday of MTV. There's your hand? Um, mm-hmm. so anyway, mm-hmm. um, and you know this 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 director came up. And, you know he's not a writer. He's not a creator. So he was doing, you know, the director jobs for hire. So it was like um, sort of low-budget Black movies, a lot of direct sort of sequels that went direct to video type of things, mm-hmm. like studio type things. Uh, and he's worked his way up and built a very, very respectable, I'm very, like he has very slowly, methodically, works his way up to a very, very good career now. But at the time, I remember thinking, at a certain point, because, you know, it's very easy. We look at each other. We look at what our peers are doing. It's very easy to compare and contrast and think, well, I'm not doing what I should be doing because I don't have the house that he has or I don't know, whatever. Right. So the conversation I had to have myself with a long time ago was, look, at the end of your career, what do you want to look back on? Do you want to be mm-hmm. sitting on a pile of money and look back on a lot of barbershop twos and Movies that no one will be talking about, or do you want to look back on a career, a groundbreaking career of work that really resonates, that people will be talking about for years and years to come? Because people still mm-hmm. talk about, songs. people still talk about Noah's Ark and stuff. And so it was just kind of, it was the choice as an artist that you kind of have to make, that all artists have to to make at some point: the push and pull between commerce and artistic whatever vision or whatever. Mm-hmm. So, um, the goal was always to try to find a way for the two to meet. You mean, yeah, not much conflict, um, but it's not. Back then, it was much more difficult. But I just—I knew what it was. I knew well, what it was. I knew. I always knew. Well, if you want to go do this stuff, if I ever started to sort of falter in my thinking, I would just say to myself, "Look, if you want to go do that stuff, you could sit down right now and write Barbershop Two or mm-hmm. whatever." But you don't want to do that, so sit down.
0: Well, I so listen. We're gonna take a break, and we're gonna pick right up. Let's get to some audience questions, um, Brendan. Uh, what do you got for me and Patrick? Hey, all right, so we have a couple questions from the audience. Um, let's see, one uh, that could be interesting is: Can you speak more on the selection of music in Noah's Ark? Um, mm. you, how much of a hand did you have? Because I know when we did the screening for Punk, you talked about um, how much you had a hand in that. How much did you have a hand in selecting
1: the music for Noah's Ark? Um, I selected the music, um, all of it. There it is, loop. Yeah, I selected all the music. I there would be some some moments, not a lot in Noah's Ark, but there were a couple of moments where I wanted a specific thing, a specific song. But in both cases, there were songs that I liked. So the first was the song by Travis called Flowers in the Window, that I really loved. And Travis is a British, Irish, British band. Um, uh, you know, kind of guitar, pop, rocky guitar stuff, whatever. And it's a beautiful song. And I wanted to use it, but I wanted a slightly more soulful version, I guess. Mm-hmm. And so I just did it myself. Um, wow. So it's in my favorite episode of season one, which is the episode where Noah is having financial problems and sells his car, and then Wade surprises him and buys the car back. And yeah, so he comes outside he surprises him, and the car is there with the flowers and lights and everything. And then the song is playing. That's the song. Flowers and Women. Oh, I love that. Story. And that's me singing it. Um, it is. Yeah. 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 <laughs> uh, I love
2: you. That's uh,
1: great. Which goes back to punks. When I was in post on Punks, Babyface had said while we were shooting, he was like, oh, this is really great. I'll write an original song, theme song for the movie and Sister Sledge can record it. It'll be really Hmm. cool. By the time we were getting, we were deep in post, he had signed a new record deal with like, he was working with Andre Harrell and Andre had his vision and it did not include, you know, Kenny putting his sort of musical stamp on this, my gay film. (laughs) Um, uh, and so I was like okay what am I gonna do what am I gonna do I don't have I was just assuming Kenny would sort of take the reins and do the music sure so I was like well like everything else you got to fucking do it yourself Mm. so I started writing so I wrote the first song I wrote was but I feel Love," which is the song that plays when in punks when like Marcus has the beautiful photo montage where he's Mm. photographing, photographing Darby which is a takeoff of the photo montage in mahogany which we also have a clip of in the film. Yes, we uh, do. <laughs> so that song I wrote and I'm singing it. Uh, I also sing like three, maybe three other songs in that film that I also wrote in Punks, including the theme song. I did not realize, how did I not, know? this is amazing. And then, so in Noah's Ark, I also did, uh, there was a song in season two when Noah gets attacked and then he and Wade come together. Uh, there's a song that's played called Home to Me. And that song is by Josh, I can't think of his last name, Catherine Heigl's husband. Um, it's a beautiful song, but I was like, "Oh, I want something a little more soulful again. So I was like, mm. but if I did it, I sang it. So it's me singing that. But yeah, I really picked the music. I picked the Adriana Evans, the theme song. And early on, we used a lot of her music in season one, I think, of the show, like a bunch of her music. She was really great. Um, but yeah, yeah. Um, it's just, it's all me. You know, I have a whole musical side that I obviously don't promote and talk about very much. Um, you know, I play saxophone and cello. What? Uh, um, I was in a band uh, like about 10 years ago on the low, on the very low key, like a real band, like record deal and everything. We like toured. What? They <laughs> toured Europe and there's stuff you can see online and stuff and videos and songs and things. Oh, here's a cool clip. You, you
0: better be out here in these streets.
1: What on is it? the Spin magazine, before Prince died, this is some years back, they did a Purple Rain 25th anniversary issue. And they commissioned um, a remake of the entire album, and they hand-selected all these bands to, to cover the songs.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And they picked our band to do one of the songs, and the song that we got was The Beautiful Ones.
2: Mm. And
1: so on our version of The Beautiful Ones on that Spin Magazine tribute album. You hear my vocals. You hear me singing Prince, the
0: beautiful ones. Wow!
1: I think, and that's what beautiful. you want to fucking
0: look back on having done.
1: Yeah, and you know, and look again. It's about being an artist. Is about sort of being open to grow and learn and all those stuff. It's like you know, I look back and I think I really wish I had had like if I could tell my twenty year old self anything, I would say get more into your music now. Like, Mm -hmm. start it now, because you can write songs. You can do all of these things that you don't know you can do yet, but you can do them. So go start doing them now, because I would have been way more into it a lot earlier. But when it came up, it was very much like, you know, Noah's Ark started on MySpace. Like, that's where it was sort of, Mm -hmm. it began. And then the band, there was another band that that was also on MySpace, and somehow they, they wrote to me and said, hey, if you have any music for your films, And I said, sure, send me. And I listened. And I was like, oh, this stuff is really good. It was called Bedroom Walls. And then I met the band leader. And we kind of became friends. And then I was working on the show. By that time, I think I was doing the movie. Okay. And he was like, um, he had heard some of the stuff I had done on Noah's Ark. And he was like, oh, we're working on this new band and a new album. And there's a song I think, I have my vocal, I don't like it, but I would love for you to do it. You have a great voice.
0: Hmm.
1: And so I was like, sure, I did it. And that song is called The Idiot. Okay. It's in the movie, um, uh, the Noah's Barton movie. And that was my first thing I did with the band. Then they were releasing the album. They were going on tour and they were like, hey, will you come on tour with us and sing The Idiot? And I was like, mm-hmm. sure. So the first performance was like in Silver Lake at one of those clubs in Silver Lake. <laughs> so cool. Then later it was like, hey, we're going on tour. And I was like, okay, how many chances am I going to get? I'm such a music head to go on tour. The so next thing you know, we are in fucking Europe. Wow. Touring across Europe, like cities. Wow. Multiple, for months at a time. Touring across Europe. now. It was an incredible experience. Um, and, and I grew a lot. It was just fucking wonderful. And then after that, I was not afraid of my musical stuff anymore, which is why when The Skinny happened, I was like, I'm not even asking anybody. I wrote all the songs. I performed all the songs. Wow. And I was like, I don't give a fuck. It is what it is. Same well, thing at Blackbird. I wrote most of the original music. I wrote. I sing some of it. You know. Yeah. So. Well, you know,
0: I'm not a singer child, but it w- I was a little inspired by you because I wrote. Um, I wrote a music original music for my next film, uh, Bad Hair, and.
1: By the way. Yes, sir. Like, can I? Is there any inside love I can get? Can I see this film before? Like.
0: Oh yeah! Hell yeah! Oh ah, yeah! Okay. Yeah, I would love for you to see the film. Oh my god, I can watch it this weekend. That'll be my Memorial Day. Well, I don't know if I can get the children together this weekend, but I can. I can work on it.
1: <laughs> I gotta like. It's I gotta, gotta link. You gotta leave somewhere. Put it privately on your. Memory. Okay, we'll figure it out.
0: I'm. A, I'm, a, I'm. I'm working on it though. I, I really okay. would love for you to see it. Like I, like if, if we knew each other, I would have brought you to table reads and shit. Like I would love for you to to <laughs> tell me what you think of it. Um... Okay, so just kind of jumping back into the story of of you, it feels like you are describing, approaching this marketplace. I think of Hollywood as a marketplace, but you're coming at it as an artist. You have, as you describe, a fucking mission. You want to tell black gay stories. And after Sundance, I'm assuming that you are sort of hitting the wall that all of us and probably everyone in the Zoom has hit, that for whatever reason, the institution is not recognizing what I'm bringing to the table. What do you do? Because, you know, from everything from Oscars So White, which never mentions Oscars So Straight, or, you know, doesn't really, I feel like gay black doesn't always fit in the category or women don't always fit or whatever. What do you do? Like, what do you do with that part of you that gets so excited because you have a mission, but the marketplace is saying no for really stupid fuckboy reasons? What did did you tell yourself at that time after Sundance, in between Punk's and Noah's arc? um, How did you keep going?
1: I had, I do not know where it came from. I I have to attribute it to my mother. Uh, There was, I don't know, I guess I was audacious enough to think that I could do anything. And so as a child, any cockamamie idea I came home with was not met with derision, it was met with, OK. So when I came home in first grade and said, I want to play the cello because my little white friend, Alicia Jackson, whose father was a doctor, mm. oh, so she played the cello. And every Tuesday and Thursday, she left class for cello lessons. Uh, I wanted I didn't get like, boy, what the fuck? Cello, what the fuck you talking about? Black people don't do that. I got, we went to the music store and got a cello. Yeah. Um. And my mother was, you know, she had me in the summer between her junior and senior year. So she was a young mom. She was in her 20s. So I really attribute a lot of it to her because she, I kind of grew up with this notion that I could do anything. And so um, throughout my career, I think I've had this idea that I could accomplish whatever I wanted. It was just a question of me figuring out what that was. Mm -hmm. And also, at a certain point, figuring out that there's any number of ways to get something done. So when mm-hmm. you need a brick wall, you go left or right and figure it out. Um, so it's part of it is like recognizing the truth of your situation and me recognizing that. They're not checking for black, gay shit, so I can sit around beating my head against this brick wall. Or I can go create Noah's Ark.
3: Mm-hmm.
1: After Noah's Ark and that success, there was a little bit of notice. I... You know, Logo commissioned the the spinoff I told you about. At the same time, I sold a a pitch to BET, like a Black Desperate Housewives kind of Mm. thing, set in D.C. And um, at the same time, they were developing Mary Jane, and they hadn't done an hour drama yet. Mm -hmm. So at the end of this year-long process, Logo decided not to make uh, the spinoff. BET decided to make Mary Jane and not my show. And so I was like, fuck Hollywood once more. Like, I've wasted all this fucking time. And so you know what I did? Mm. I made The Skinny. Like literally, the spring, I think it was like February, I got word that both shows were not going to happen. Right. It was like, it was March. I was like, clock is ticking. You're only as good as your last project. How long has it been since Noah's Ark? At this point, two years since the movie. Okay, my relevance is slipping away. I got to do something and get it out into the marketplace quickly. What can I do? I came up with this concept. Gay Pride Weekend, Kids Reuniting, and I was inspired by uh, there's a series of films called Eating Out. Yes. That Philip Bartell worked on as an editor. Yes, he did. And uh, my friend Q Allen Broker did this film. And it was a series of these low-budget, kind of very over-the-top comedy, comedy uh, gay movies.
3: Mm-hmm.
1: And so I was like, I'm going to do that. Low budget, and each film, of each each installment will be like at a different pride. So the first one will be New York and then the second will be Atlanta and then we'll follow these sort of same characters. And oh, we'll yeah. with them. So that was the concept. And again, it was March. So I was like, I quickly kind of started writing a script. I knew I had, I had all these resources I had worked out. So I knew a good friend of a friend was this black, black lesbian woman who was the president of GMHC at the time.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And then... Someone else was the head of Harlem Pride. So I knew I could film at Harlem Pride in Marcus Garvey Park. I knew I could be on the float, on the GMHC float in the big parade and film on that. I knew I could film in their offices. So I knew I had all these built-in sort of production value things in place that I could access during Gay Pride weekend. Mm -hmm. But I didn't have enough money to do the whole film. So I took my money. We shot three days that weekend, all the Pride stuff all the parade, the park.
0: Wow, three days.
1: Um, and then that week, I didn't tell the cast, because again, this is so shady. <laughs> I was like, after we filmed, I sat the cast down, we all meet, and I just said, listen. So situations come up unexpectedly. Basically, it is you know, a, a budget problem. We're going to have to pause for just a moment. But I promise you, we will not be down long. I will figure this out. And I'm sure some of them were thinking like, oh yeah, right, blah, blah, blah. Mm-hmm. So I had my editor, I was like, look, I my my producer, I said, listen, put this, put this, uh, put together a little reel, like a little a trailer, make it look hot. Because we had mm-hmm. this was the same, this was when gay uh gay marriage was legalized in New York. Like they uh-huh. did it the day before gay pride. So uh-huh. the whole weekend was electric pride, the right. parade was like magical, it was great. So when you saw the stuff you see in the movie is real. Um, and then I took that clip reel, I took it to Logo, and I said, listen, you guys know what I can do. This is what I've done. Do you wanna buy a TV window, write me a check quickly, and they wrote me a check for like $90,000. Wow. We were, so we were dark five days. And then we were back up and running, and we finished the movie. And then, you know, I released it on my own, again, because of the experience I'd had with punks, where there were lines around the block at the quad, like lines around the block. So those people remember that. So it was very easy to call the quad and go, hey, I got a new film. Remember me? And they give us a screen. And I did that on the small. So we had like 14 screens. You know, that first weekend we did like, we were like the number one on the Indie Wire per screen average box office. You know, we actually mm-hmm. made a little splash. Yeah. Two years later, Blackbird. A producer called me, had some money. I was like, here's a script I wrote two decades ago. Do you want to do this? He liked it. We went and shot this movie. Again, outside the Hollywood system. So by that time, I started thinking, mm, This has been five years of my life. I don't have too many of these left before. Like, I got to think about retirement and, like, all this. You better stop, but go ahead. What am I going to do? And a friend of mine, a writer friend of mine in L.A. said, listen, you want some advice? If you were living in L.A., you'd be working in television because things have changed. Diversity is in. All the things that held you back before are now a plus. So I came out. I signed with a new agent. I came out for a a few weeks, did some meetings, ended up getting Being Mary Jane, moved back. And now I've been sort of doing this in the TV landscape again. So now I'm showrunner, back back to showrunner level. Um, uh, P Valley comes out in July that I was the co-EP on. Um, I'm up for a couple of shows now. I've got a lot of projects in development and I'm writing a TV movie for Lifetime at the moment. Well, but- what
0: I What I love about you and what I find so inspiring about you is that you're the kind of dude who's gonna make it happen. We're gonna take a next step. I don't know what the plan, the whole plan's gonna be, but I know I can take this one step tomorrow. And, um, you know, I'm a man after your heart because I I feel like in this job, you have to be an artist, you have to be a prophet, but you also have to be a politician and you have to kind of be a con artist sometimes and you have to be a hustler and you, you gotta be all these things. What, <laughs> what part of the job, and you can, you can tell me about a movie or a show or, or whatever, have you loved the most? It was just in the most enjoyable part of it for you. Wow. There are times, and I'll, I'll, I'll preface this by saying there are times when, you know, doing what I love, I, I really wasn't that in love with it. Like there are times on the show where it's like, kill me now. So, you know, yeah. what, what maybe surprising or unsurprising, but what, what, would, um, what would that be for you where you really enjoyed yourself? Um...
1: I don't, I'm trying to think. I mean, I kind of enjoy the whole process, even though it's hard. I mean... Well, that's a blessing. What do I enjoy the most? Um, probably, to a certain extent, writing is probably the most enjoyable, the mm. creating, because it's just, you're completely unfettered, you know? Yeah. Unbridled. um, It could be anything. And so it can literally be anything. um, And it's the process over which you have the most control. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Probably that writing, songwriting. Yeah. um, I enjoy, um, you know, but I do kind of enjoy the whole process of seeing the whole thing come together. uh, As stressful as it is, um, and certainly seeing like the finished product is always kind of magical.
0: Yeah. Now, just just going, jumping back and, I, you know, I'm not going to keep you all day, but Lord, I could. Uh, jumping back to our institutional thing. When Moonlight won, what did that mean to you, personally, but also in your mind for, the black gays out here?
1: Um, I think like everybody, I was surprised. It's like, holy shit, what the fuck? Like, really? Moonlight, yeah. <laughs> uh, I mean, you know, it's such a gorgeous movie. It's just really, just it's everything. It's like, it's just beautiful, it's lyrical, it's lovely, it's sweet. Um, and it captured, you know, it had the luck of capturing the lightning in the bottle. The moment mm-hmm. where you capture, you make a good film, Um, and you managed to capture everyone's eyes and you know, you hit the sweet spot um It reminded me of The thing that someone said to me years ago and I don't remember who it was but they said Um It was an older older artist too. I don't I wish I could remember who it was but he said you're you're He's like, you're you're a trailblazer, but blazing trails is a lonely business. Mm. And more often than not, the reward for blazing those trails, the spoils do not go to the trailblazer. So you have to be okay with that. (laughs) I could not agree more. That you're blazing trails that other people will walk through. And 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 you know, so for me. It is very rewarding to see Terrell McCraney have yeah. walked through that door. It is very rewarding to see Lena Waithe, who I've gotten to know quite well, and who the first time I met, she was literally <laughs> bowing down. And I was like, wait, uh, excuse me? Like, you're a superstar. <laughs> but to this idea, because, you know, I don't, I'm not, I don't stay too connected to the bigger picture, yeah. and all of that stuff, status, and you're a legend, or you're this, or you blaze the trail, or you whatever. That's for not. It's not for me to say. It's not for me to decide. So I don't pay much mind to it. Um, um, but in those moments when you think like, wow, those people, you for example, dear white people, those people were inspired by work that I did to do. Hundred percent. They're doing. So that, even if it's not recognized on a, some huge scale, um, it's recognized in our community, you know, and everything. And so um, that in itself is rewarding. And the cherry on top of that is that I'm still, even though I'm not young, still young enough and still, still viable young enough to also start to reap some of the rewards of that work myself, and that's very lucky. If you're lucky enough to blaze a, a trail or two and you're around long enough to still benefit from that, then, so, you know, I'm still trying to figure it out. But.
0: I love that advice, and I tell a lot of Black folks, like, read about jazz musicians, because that's the only, in my opinion, analogy to Black filmmaking, because Black filmmaking is still really young. And to really, like, get a sense of the people who have done this thing before, I love to go back to the jazz artists, many of which, as you said, were trailblazers who didn't get their flowers. They got to watch white artists, or maybe they died before other artists march through the trails that they're blazed, and you realize how fucking lucky you are if you get to just be alive oh, yeah. and be black and get to see the benefit of what you've done. Um, Brendan, hit us with a really good audience question, and then we're gonna play Don't At Me. Okay, we have a question uh, to kind of wrap everything up. One is, when will punks be released or available for public consumption?
1: Oh, actually, I'm getting a. um, We're working on that. It'll be sometime this year because this is the 20th anniversary year of the movie. Okay, that's huge. So I'm. I'm. In fact, I think FedEx supposed to be delivered today. Of I had, was having my print of the film. remastered and transferred and stuff so that we can start working on that. So I've had some meetings with Tracy about it and it's it is, it's in the works for this year, for sure.
0: That's amazing to hear. Okay, so before I let you go, we're gonna play Don't At Me, which I did not steal from Andy Cohen at all. It's nothing like any other thing you've ever seen before. But basically, I'm gonna ask you three questions and you can say Don't At Me to one of them. And they're little shady boots, so, you know, Pick pick wisely. Uh, the <laughs> first one's always easy, though. So, fuck Mary, kill Noah,
1: Ricky, Wade, Mary, kill Noah, Ricky. Ooh. Well, that would be oh, that's easy. Uh, Mary, <laughs> yeah. Noah, fuck Wade, kill Ricky.
0: Oh <laughs> shit! Okay, bye, Ricky. Um, we gotta
1: kill somebody, and he said.
0: You're, you're on the Twitters. I feel like you know things. Who's a celebrity that has recently be, been canceled that you think should be uncanceled and why? Who's been canceled recently? Basically everyone. <laughs> but <laughs> everyone has a, a season of dragging at some point.
1: Well, I'll say this. This Joe Biden thing today about his quote unquote gaff he made with Charlemagne the mm. God about If you not down with him, if you pick Trump over him, you ain't black, Mm -hmm. which I actually think is funny. (laughs) And true. And true. (laughs) I'm like, look, Joe Biden could pull his pants down in the middle of Times Square and take a big ass shit right there on the street. And he would have my vote over Donald Trump. I don't fucking care. We are not canceling him. I don't care what the fuck he would he will have to be calling us all kind of niggers and like And I, even then. And even then, right. You know, I it's like <laughs> I'm like, y'all better calm the fuck down before y'all start fanning the flames of this bullshit. Because he didn't lie, he just technically can't say it. <laughs> <laughs> he can't say it. I'll fucking say it. It's like, are you fucking kidding me? Don't fucking listen. They gonna Bernie Bernie us right back into four more years, fucking Trump. Mm. you Better be careful.
0: Yes, I agree with that. Oh, yeah. Okay, so last one. You can say don't at me on this one. Or you could answer, but I think it's kind of a good one. If you could uh, remake, if, 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 what movie that came out and say like the last ten years would have been better if you made it?
1: Ooh. Ten years.
0: Yeah, or the last 10, 20. Just a movie that people love that you would have done a much okay. better.
1: Yeah. So one of my favorite books in yes. life was made into a movie. And i it, this was another book, one of the other books. After Blackbird, I adapted this book into a script. Mm-hmm. One of those projects I dreamed of making this movie. It was about a bisexual love triangle set in college. So these two guys and a girl. It was very irreverent and I I just, I love the book so much. And then they made it into a film and the film was awful because they hired this director who was basically like kind of a frat boy director Mm -hmm. to make this movie that was based on this book that was really sort of about, again, East Coast liberal arts, schools, and all that sort of shit. What is this movie? Uh, The book and the movie, uh, it's called The Rules of Attraction by Bret Easton Ellis. (laughs) So I have somewhere Woo! I'm sure I still have. My that description, description and then the reveal of the movie is everything. Because the, <laughs> what he did in the movie, he, he took the sort of the gay arm of the triangle and sort of like took it off, basically. Yeah, moved, In the book, it is very evenly distributed between the gay guy, the straight guy, and uh. the girl. In the movie, he almost erased the sort of bisexual angle. hmm and he kind of shrouded it in mystery because the book is like one of those perspective, not books, like you, you hear the girl talk, you hear the guy talk, you hear all these different characters talk. And he made it in the movie like, the gay character kind of says they have sex, the straight character just says, oh, we hung out and drank beer and that's it, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So who do you believe who's telling the truth? Right. You well, know, if you read the book, you know the gay guy's telling the truth, really, because right. the gay guy's just kind of like a drunken in denial, whatever. It was just such. A, I was so disappointed, and it was like one of. It was like a dream project. Like, yeah. Uh, so well, you you
0: you got through that without ever saying don't at me, which I love. Uh, <laughs> this has been honestly like such a pleasure. I'm so glad we finally got to sit down and chat, even though it's like in front of people on Zoom. Like I I I fucking adore you. You're a total legend to me. Thank you so much for coming on the show. <laughs> And, um, and I guess really quickly, like you want to plug something like when, is, when can we see P-Valley? How do we find you on Twitter and Instagram? P-Valley.
1: So I'm uh, just my name, uh, Patrick Ian Polk, uh, no C in Patrick, um, Twitter and Instagram. I'm more active on Instagram um, these days. Facebook, I really don't fuck with because they help get Trump elected. Mm-hmm. Um, P-Valley, July 4th, I think it's 14th, 12th or 14th on stars. Yep. Well worth it. If you don't have stars, at least get it for the summer. It is P Valley. You ain't got shit else to do, so go ahead. Nothing, nothing like it. What the Tory Hall has created with P Valley, you will definitely want to be there. It is a it is unlike any other strip club project you've ever seen. I can't. And then beyond that, um, I have a lot of things in the work on my own that I'm hoping and scratching, you know, scratching and surviving. Yes, um, I know. So stay tuned. Um, I can say, can I say, I can't really say, I mean, it kind of really doesn't really matter. I'll say this as long as people don't, people promise not to post about it. I'm looking at I- the chat.
0: I can speak for myself, but I don't know about these other motherfuckers on the Zoom call.
1: Just don't post about it because I'm going to announce it probably like next week, I think. But uh, we are doing a a, a special 15th anniversary uh, Noah's Ark Noah's Ark reunion special, basically.
0: Oh my god, I'm so excited! I wasn't going to bring it up, <laughs> well,
1: it's like, and it's a it's basically like a new episode set wow. during the time of Corona. So uh, look for that in June. Cannot fucking wait. People
0: are freaking out in the chat, which they should be. Uh, Well, thank you so much, Patrick. You always you you always inspire me. Your beard currently is on
1: fucking point. I wish. Listen, this is not shaved for weeks since the beginning, since before. I wish I could be like putting some lotion on it and then like giving it the fro pack. To make well it
0: looks fucking perfect. Mine is all is patches, okay? So congratulations on that. And uh I love you, man. So hopefully we'll we'll get to keep talking and will uh, absolutely talking.
1: So and let me just say to you, I am so proud of you. Like what you have done oh. with your white people is amazing. I mean, you know, and the gay character on that show um <laughs> is fabulous and um and I can't wait to see your movie and everything else. You have to, see it. you have to come, and you know. And I'll just say to you, um, you know, don't be afraid to lean hard into your black gayness. Yeah, you know, you don't have to deal with every project. Um, you know, you're in a great position where you've done all kinds of stuff in your in in your show and mm-hmm. and I'm sure in your movie. Um, but you know, whatever that like super blackity-black, gayety-gay show or movie or whatever that's in you, like, we're ready for it. Give it to us. I've I've received that. Thank you for that. Also, you know, uh, whenever you're in a position, you know, hire a brother. Okay, (laughs) 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 You got it, man. I would love nothing more than that. I write, I direct, whatever you need. You make music. I'm here. (laughs)
0: I'm here for all of it. Well, thank you again, brother. I will. I will talk to you again in the future, maybe with. Thank you.
1: This is lovely. I really had a good time. Thank you.
0: Right, that's our show special thanks goes to jason smith ceo of starburns audio and our producer jessica gutierrez audio engineer judith cargbo production coordinator chris bowers who did the theme song dominic german macuso who did additional score Aliyah jihad and brendan smith who produced the hell out of the show for culture machine thanks y'all
3: Podcast Network.